Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. So this is um, episode 55, by Mm -hmm. my math. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this morning I had the coolest idea on how to start this episode. Oh, awesome. And now I can't remember it. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm really sorry. I I am having more and more of an issue with that sort of thing, too. I find that, uh, you know, it's almost a joke when people say, yeah, I go into the other room and then I forget what it is I've gone in that room for. I do that constantly. I have had to go to the bathroom and went into the bathroom and forgot why I went in there. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's become a problem. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Mm. What's what's worse, doing that or or going into the bathroom knowing what you have to do and forgetting how to do it? <laughs> I'm not at that point yet. Yeah, okay. Well, if that happens, I would see your doctor. Okay, yes. I, I would advise that you seek medical consultation. Well, I'm so glad to to hear both of you together, and I'm so glad to be here with you. But I, as you can tell, I am still recovering from a cold, so I'm not going to stick around. But I did want to say that congratulations on episode 55. And um, I think you, you both are doing a wonderful job. Oh, thank and you, And I'm Kat. so proud of both of you. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Walls. You're so sweet. <laughs> All right, now get the hell out of here. Okay. Love you. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> how, uh, how would you guess, JG, that most people get to the airport for a flight? I was kind of surprised by this because I, I did a little research. I would think, I don't know, nowadays, Lyft or Uber. That's 24%. Really? Friends? Friends, maybe? Uh, no. No. Twenty. Well, 24% use a ride-sharing service like Uber or Lyft. Razor scooter? The, the, the majority, 51%, use a car. And that's, that's spread out either using our own cars, a family member dropping us off, a friend dropping us off. Okay. Nine, right. 9% use taxis. also said other, which, believe it or not, kind of to your point about a razor or a scooter, uh, would include biking and walking. And I thought, what would it be like to walk to the airport? With your luggage? 
with your luggage. Oh my God. You'd have to live pretty darn close. And then 7% use transit, meaning bus or trains. Okay, that makes but sense. But the vast majority use, 51% use a, use a car. But our story, my story today is about a guy who did indeed drive himself to the airport. This was actually just last month in uh, Southern Illinois, a gentleman named Timothy Baggett, which is kind of a, kind of a cool name from Carbondale, Carbondale, Illinois. Timothy had booked a flight to the West Coast. He had himself a guitar case. He had himself a ticket. And he drove himself to the airport. That was about a 10-mile drive. And he made his flight. In fact, security camera footage posted on the uh, Williamson County Sheriff's Office Facebook page actually shows Timothy arriving at Veterans Airport of Southern Illinois. He parks the vehicle, jumps out, holding his guitar case, uh, leaves the vehicle, and he calmly walks across the street into the airport and boards his uh, boards his flight. With the guitar? With the guitar. Okay. He didn't check it. We didn't know what was in the guitar case, but uh, <laughs> but that's kind of immaterial. So where, J.G. asks, is the shallow end moment in this story? I'm guessing here it comes. <laughs> it's coming around the corner, pal. I have to better describe the vehicle to you because apparently it wasn't Mr. Baggett's vehicle. It appears that it was stolen. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> he stole a car because he needed a ride to the airport? No. Oh? No. No, it was it was a vehicle taken from a construction site 10 miles from the airport and actually it wasn't a car or it wasn't and it wasn't a truck. Oh no. Oh no. It was it was a backhoe, JG. <laughs> Wait, okay, so he stole a backhoe. Yep. Because he needed a ride to the airport. Exactly. I wonder how much that would cost in long-term parking. That's a very good question. I wonder if they charge more for a backhoe than they do, say, a regular car or uh, Well, you'd have SUV. to take up a couple of spaces. I think it would only be fair. It's a, it's a, for anyone who hasn't yet Googled this, uh, a backhoe, you'll, you'll recognize it when you see it. It's a huge piece of machinery. It weighs tons, and it's used in construction, site to, construction sites to, you know, move debris, dirt, rocks, stuff like that there. But they're gargantuan. You've, you you rarely see them on streets, and when you do, they're usually uh, you know driving at like ten miles an hour with the bucket up, and uh, which is better than with the bucket down because that would be <laughs> that would be horrible for the streets. But I digress. So he uh, the the Williamson County Sheriff's Office said that after a few minutes after Mister Baggett disappeared into the terminal, they started getting phone calls saying. <laughs> Hey, there's a uh, there's a backhoe parked in the airport parking lot, <laughs> and the deputies found that to be suspicious in nature. I see. So sure enough, a few minutes later, the owner of that backhoe arrives at the scene and says, "Yep, that's my backhoe," <laughs> and explains to the deputies that it had been parked at a job site ten miles away, and. Then people saw it being driven off, and they knew that wasn't any of our employees. The employees there on the job site knew that the guy driving the backhoe away <laughs> with a guitar case 
was not any of their employees. <laughs> so, so did they leave the keys in it or did he have to hotwire the backhoe? If you know what I mean. <laughs> you put the hoe in backhoe. Hotwire <laughs> hot that thing. Um, I'm guessing the keys were in it. The, the, the story doesn't say that it was, was hotwired, but it was technically stolen. So uh, the sheriff from the Williamson County Sheriff's Office, a guy named Jeff Diedrich, said, quote, You hear of people getting rides from other people, borrowing cars, even stealing cars. But a backhoe being stolen from a job site, (laughs) driven 10 miles to an airport for an individual to catch a flight all the way to the West Coast, carrying a guitar? Yeah, that's unique. (laughs) And I thought he's right. They say that Mr. Baggett flew to the West Coast, specifically Portland, Oregon. But he was later arrested in Nevada. Now... (laughs) I don't know. They don't they don't say how he got from Portland to Nevada, but I immediately thought, well, did he steal another backhoe? Did a friend pick him up at work with a road grader? Does this guy just love construction equipment so much that he would rather forego stopping at, say, Avis and getting a, a nice compact sedan? It just goes to a, you know, a construction rental place and says, uh, what do you got in the way of a backhoe or an earth mover? <laughs> So he was arrested in Nevada twice. What? Yeah, he was arrested first on a Sunday in Elko County, Nevada, for charges related to the possession of a stolen vehicle. That was for the backhoe in Illinois. But after he was arrested, he was released. But get this, the sheriff's office said Baggett was arrested again the very next day in Wells, Nevada, for charges related to the possession of another stolen vehicle. Now, they don't say what that was, but again, I thought, well, it had to be another backhoe. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm, it worked once, right? Yep. So he was ultimately charged with theft in excess of $10,000. That charge is a felony. And as the story went to press, he was being held in Elko County Jail in Nevada, on a $40,000 bond. Now, what's interesting to me is that when the, well, I guess the whole thing is interesting, but (laughs) specifically the Williamson County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, they posted this as kind of a, boy, what some people won't do to get to the airport. But the majority of Facebook users actually came down in favor of Mr. Baggett. Oh, they they thought what? that his arrest was not a, was not cool. One one user said, "Hey, the guy was just trying to make it on time for his flight. What's the big deal?" Oh no. Another user said, "Well, at least he didn't do anything stupid other than borrowing the backhoe to go to the airport." And I'll point out that for safety, he did leave it parked with the bucket down, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting point. And then another person said it wasn't as if he took the equipment to keep it or be destructive. I mean, come on, give the guy a break. He just wanted to get to the airport. Okay. Wow. So I guess there are more people inclined to, uh, to think that it's okay to steal a backhoe to get to the airport than not. Heavy machinery theft is no joke, people. In part because... I, I don't think the majority of of people would even know how to use something like that. I wouldn't if I if you put me in the no. behind the wheel of a of a backhoe, I wouldn't, you know, they got all the, they got them levers <laughs> and switches and, uh, and dials. Switches and buttons and and stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know. 
Having grown up in rural Maine, um, I'm no stranger to heavy equipment. In fact, I often kind of wonder nowadays with Uber and Lyft, if you're living in my hometown of Holton, Maine, in Aroostook County, northern Maine, if you were to call an Uber, um, I would not be surprised if somebody picked you up in a wheat combine. Boy, that would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> or or a four-row potato harvester. Um, <laughs> I did have a friend. At one point, they reopened the drive-in up there. And you mean like a like a, a, a movie? Yeah, like an old-fashioned movie drive-in. And okay. and this, you know, they were trying to bring it back. It didn't last very long, but oh, he true. lived down the road from it, and he thought it would be fun to go to the drive-in uh, on his riding lawnmower. And they let him in. <laughs> Nobody saw anything unusual about that. Just yeah, park over there next to the wheat combine, and and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because people are so used to seeing construction equipment that somebody showing up in something like that and not a car was like no big deal. Just not so much construction equipment as um, farming, farming machinery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a very agricultural. Well, I think I think it was only recently that I learned from you and Kat that Maine is the second largest uh, potato producing state in the in the country. Next to Idaho. We're number two. I still find that amazing to me. Why do I find that so amazing? I don't know, but I, I guess remember, because of the climate. Well, a lot of the uh, Irish that left Ireland during the potato famine settled in New Brunswick, Canada, and then migrated to northern Maine. And so because potato farming was the main staple of their economy and diet. Main staple, get it? It became a huge agricultural movement in northern Maine and remains so today. That makes total sense. In that fact, probably a lot of your tater tots come from uh, from Maine. There's a whole factory uh, where uh, they make French fries and potato tots. God, I loves me some potato, potato tots. When I was in uh, grade school in Tucson, for whatever reason, the Tucson Unified School District called those potato gems. I think tater tots was trademarked. <laughs> tater so tots. you'd see on the little, you know, <laughs> tomorrow's lunches, blah, 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 and potato gems. And I would look uh-huh. forward to potato gems and they would give you six potato gems in your little... Uh, School cafeteria tray. Imagine the job. That's your job. Count out the potato gems. <laughs> hey, that's a seventh gem. <laughs> Keep an eye on things. The count shall be six, <laughs> not five. So don't steal, uh, I guess, just to wrap this up, don't steal a backhoe. Don't steal anything to get to the airport. Mm, mm. Walk if you have to. I got this from Yahoo, live5news.com, the Williamson County Sheriff's Office, and Business Insider. Bringing up tater tots, it uh, gave me kind of a sick feeling in my stomach. And it reminded me of when I was a young child, I was terrified of, of tater tots. Is this because of the shape? Is this the round the round thing? No, this is because of um, of a Christmas song. You have to finish this story, pal. I'm sorry. Well, the line where it says, tater tots with their eyes all aglow. <laughs> I see. I, it would keep me up at nights. And it was yeah, hard I, enough to sleep knowing Santa was coming anyway. Sure. But then the thought of these demon potato nuggets stalking me in my sleep. <laughs> demon potato nuggets. Hmm. Boy, if that's not a great computer password, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I went back to my uh, grade school a few months ago in Tucson, Whitmore Elementary School. Uh-huh. Yes. And was very warmly greeted by the 
principal I had I'd called ahead of time, and uh, she actually gave me a tour of the of the school where I had not been, obviously, in decades. And when I got to the cafeteria, I thought, boy, I wonder why they, uh, why they shrunk this by like two-thirds. <laughs> it is strange, isn't it? I think we may have touched on that in, in a previous episode. When you go Did back I already to, talk about that? Well, no, but I think we talked about the idea of going back to our childhood uh, stomping grounds and, and recognizing okay. it as being much smaller than we remember. Yeah, it was, it was creepy, I thought. Boy, this this place was huge. This room was cavernous. Wow. You could fit all six grades in there. You could all eat lunch at the same time. How could that be? Hey, look, if you're passionate about sports, looking for a thrill, you need to check out the freshly redesigned X-Bet. They're calling it the last sports book you'll ever join. Yeah, they really do have it all, whether it's odds on basketball, combat sports, or even betting on the next Bitcoin dip. The best part is when you win, you get paid quick. It's not just about placing bets. XBet is a whole experience. They support athletes and shows just like ours. They give back to the community with tons of free bets and cash prize contests. And did we mention they have a casino now? Spin the slots, play the roulette, or try your luck at the live tables, all from a mobile platform that lets you enjoy the fun on the go. So whether you're super into sports betting or just curious about giving it a try, you need a site that makes it fun and easy. That's why you got to check out XBet. Sign up today using promo code SHALLOW and get a generous bonus bonus of up to $1,000 on your first deposit. That's right. Promo code SHALLOW for a free cash bonus to kickstart your betting journey. With so many great UFC cards on the horizon and baseball season in full swing. See what I did there? Baseball swing. There's never been a better time to play. Make your next bet. X-Bet. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You see them on street corners and bus benches. I was once on the stage. In airports and hotel lobbies. I have trod the boards in the West End and Broadway. They are retired Shakespearean actors. Few people understood the challenge of Pericles, but I made it something to behold. That are no longer working. Uh, Listen to the way I deliver this. I am no viper, yet I feed on mother's flesh which did me breed. They need your help and financial support. For just pennies a day, you can sponsor these retired actors and keep them off the streets. And more important, off the stage. Did I ever tell you about the time I told Olivier he was phoning it in? (laughs) It was something to behold. The Retired Shakespearean Actors Fund will ensure that you never have to witness this. Did you know I once performed King Lear as a comedy? No one else had the vision to do that. Goneril and Regan were not well cast, but I was masterful as Lear. Ever again. The Bard never intended you to suffer. To be or not... Line! By sponsoring the Retired Shakespearean Actors Fund, you can protect your ears and eyes for years to come. 
Many retired actors are mentally unstable and should not be approached from behind. Narcissism is common, especially in males. If confronted and asked directly if you remember their names, always lie and say, yes, I loved your work in the Scottish play. You should have seen me in Hamlet. The Retired Shakespearean Actors Fund, pretending they're still God's gift to man and keeping them out of your neighborhood. You know, all this talk we were having about uh, rides to the airport and Ubers and lifts and that sort of thing. It reminded me of an article I came across, and I, I just looked it up. This, this is a list of some of the strangest things people have left in their Uber. Wow, I can't wait to hear this. A fog machine. <laughs> How do you get out of the car and not think to take your fog machine with you? It's beyond me. Um, an ankle monitor. Oh. A unicycle. Okay. A pregnancy test. Hmm. 16 ounces of fake blood. How do they know it was fake? They must have tasted it. I guess so. A remote controlled vibrator. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd be picking that up with salad tongs. (laughs) I wouldn't be picking it up. Star Wars style uh, lightsaber weapon, which I guess could have been confused for a remote controlled vibrator. Um, I guess. Fake teeth. Okay. A single Gucci loafer. (laughs) And an artificial leg. How do you forget your artificial leg? Do they say if the artificial leg was wearing the single Gucci loafer or not? Because <laughs> yeah. that would make uh, sense. Yeah. Then it all know? ties together nicely. You get out and you hop over to the window to give the guy his tip. I don't. <laughs> how does that work exactly? I'm I'm curious mostly about the fog machine, but I think the unicycle is a, is a close second. Imagine getting around, being able to get around everything you needed to do in a day using just uh, ride services and a unicycle. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) Maybe the unicycle was his as well. And, uh, he just, uh, he realized he could not, uh, transport his fog machine on the unicycle and called an Uber. And again, it all ties together. The rest is, uh, the rest is Uber history. It's Uber forensics. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. If you've ever left anything strange, (laughs) In an Uber and you want to share it with us, please, please do so. Lifeguard yes. at shallowendpodcast.com. We got an email from a uh, gentleman named Chris who says, hello, gentlemen, parentheses, and cat, of course. Although cat left, so I don't know why I'm mentioning her. <laughs> he says, I've been a longtime fan of Box of Oddities since around episode five. It's wonderful to see how that show has evolved over the years, and I celebrate the amazing success there. And of course, now we've been graced with the shallow end. What a wonderful treat for my ears and a boost to my confidence as all the dumb things I've done in my life seem just slightly less painful, but just slightly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That said, I have a story of when I dipped my own toe into the shallow end. Okay, this was no toe dipping. This was a full-on belly flop in front of 50 or so teenagers. <laughs> I was a band director, and as the high school had a competitive marching band, I decided to have my middle school students participate in an end-of-the-year parade so they could get a little marching experience before going on to high school. On the first day that we marched outside, I noticed a footwear problem. Now, in my defense, this was about 15 to 20 years ago, and I was out of touch with a lingo change. It happens to all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So I stopped the group, and to my everlasting shame, I made an an announcement that went something like this. Quote, while we are working to learn to march together... No one should wear thongs to band class. <laughs> I knew something was horribly, terribly wrong when I saw that every single girl in the front three rows had an absolutely horrified expression. <laughs> I was sincerely confused. So I said, what? 
No one spoke, but they were now turning a beet red. I hopefully added, what? You, <laughs> you can bring tennis shoes to change into just for band. Confused looks bounce around and one brave girl tentatively steps forward and says, um, do you mean flip-flops? <laughs> yes. Yes, I apparently did. And when I figured out they, my poor, awkward, early teen female students thought I meant thong underwear, it was my turn to be horrified and turn beet red. Oof. When I was a kid, we called those shoes thongs. Everyone but did. But now they're flip-flops. Who knew? The horror and shame were very real, are very real to this day. Thanks for all you do, proudly flying my freak flag and desperately trying to avoid another swim in the shallow end, Chris. Wow. Thanks, Chris. And I completely understand. I uh, I had sort of forgotten that that was once yeah. a proper term. But uh, yes, it's now flip-flops. I always call them flip-flops, but I do remember some people referring to them as thongs uh, yeah. back in yeah. the day. Uh, yeah. Misspeaking like that can be really embarrassing and humiliating. I remember uh, the pastor of a church that I went to a number of years ago. He was talking about, I don't know what it was, but he was, he was trying to convey that uh, people should not be offended about whatever it was he was talking about. And okay. so he meant to say, don't get your panties in a twist. Okay. <laughs> but, but I think in his mind, he couldn't decide whether or not it was in a twist or in a knot. And so right. he said, so don't get your panties in a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Here endeth the third lesson. Oh, that must have been one stunned congregation. Oh, they loved it. They wow. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a deep fear of misspeaking aloud in church, but <laughs> praise be to God, I've never said anything <laughs> remotely like that. I can't yeah. I can't even yeah. I can't even fathom. That was about I would say six months before he was arrested for embezzlement and imprisoned. <laughs> well, writing on the wall, I guess, huh? <laughs> Some foreshadowing there or something. Jeez, I'm not oh, sure. Pete. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. That is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. 
Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jails and graveyards are full of people who swore the gun wasn't loaded. You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Toth. The year was 2001. The location, the historic and iconic Fairmont Empress Hotel in Victoria, British Columbia. I've been there. Have you? To the hotel or to Victoria? To the hotel. No, I have not. Tell me about that. It's supposed to be pretty stately, right? It's it's a a landmark and... um, very, very well-known and gorgeous and huge. And my wife bought me a fleece jacket there that I still have to this day. Really? And I treasure it. And uh, we were on a cruise ship, Alaskan cruise. And I remember walking around that hotel and thinking, someday I want to come back here and stay at this hotel because it was just it was amazing. So it's clearly an upscale hotel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very stately mm. and uh, lots of history you know, there. That's high end, lots of history. Very, very elegant, posh place. Well, a guy named um, Nick Burchill was preparing for a business trip that would include a pit stop in Victoria, British Columbia. And he planned to meet up with some friends of his who were serving in the Canadian Navy. Okay. Now, he was from the Maritime Provinces. They refer to themselves as Maritimers. And being a proud Maritimer and a fellow Bonhomme, Burchill was asked by friends to smuggle something across the nation for them. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, it's not what you think. It was nothing nefarious. They asked him to bring a taste of Halifax to the West Coast, and he obliged. (laughs) What exactly is a taste of (laughs) Halifax? What he ended up doing was bringing them a suitcase full of pepperoni. Oh, okay. Brothers pepperoni, to be exact, a spicy, robust delicacy from his native Halifax that could put even the most zealous meat lovers into a pepperoni-induced stupor. <laughs> Coma. To comprehend why a person would consider toting a Samsonite full of cured meats across the nation, <laughs> across the entire Great White North, one has to understand the mystical bond between a Maritimer and their local grub. East Coasters Hmm. are known to have an affinity for their regional delicacies that rivals, well, your love affair for haircuts in Costco. Sure. Okay. This spicy cured meat was his love letter to his seafaring friends on the other side of the nation. (laughs) So upon arriving at the Grand Empress, he realized a little hitch in his gastronomic gesture. Uh, His room lacked a refrigerator. Okay. Okay. So this is cured meat. So it probably would have been fine. But he didn't think of that. He was too focused on stinking up his luggage. <laughs> now, just to to clarify, it's not illegal no. to trans to transport your pepperoni across the country. Across province lines. No. No. Okay. Totally fine. So he gets to his hotel room, and as as lovely and grand as the hotel is, it doesn't have a refrigerator. Hmm. Don't you hate that? You get to your room and there's no fridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You kind of like you expect it nowadays. You sure do. 
<laughs> this one time, actually, this was pretty recently. I had some leftover pizza and my hotel room didn't have a fridge, but it did, however, have one of those mini bars, those little honor bar things that they have, you know, with right. the, uh, offer candy bars and beer at ridiculously inflated prices. <laughs> $16 for three Toblerone. Yep. <laughs> so I cleaned off one of the shelves and I put my pizza in there. And the next day I took my pizza out and I returned the $14 beers and $7 M&Ms to their original right. resting position <laughs> and then checked out. When I got my hotel statement in the email and uh, the next day, I realized that the items in the, in the mini bar were on shelves that uh, detected movement or specific products. Somehow the shelves were calibrated to monitor any change in the weight. And so I got billed based on that. It cost me $107.50 to keep my pizza cool for the night. Holy cow. Yeah. Did you contest it? I did. They were very kind about oh, it. Oh, good. But, God, uh, I, didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. Just, just removing something? Yeah. It alerts them at the front desk, I guess. They just assume. And whether you put it back or not, doesn't matter. Wow. Wow. Well, Nick didn't even have a mini bar to raid, let alone a fridge. Now- Common folk might have called the front desk requesting a mini fridge, but not our hero. No, sir. He saw the chilly Victoria weather as an ally. Nature's refrigerator, if you will. I'll just set my suitcase out in the snow. <laughs> so he did. He does what any reasonable man in a pepperoni predicament might do. He took the meat out of his suitcase and he spread them across the windowsill of his room to keep it cool. Okay. Now... Let's just pause for a moment and visualize this. A room, a hotel room in one of Canada's most iconic hotels, festooned with pepperoni. And lots of it. It was like a Christmas garland, but significantly meatier. Now, he opens up the window, and then he has to go to work. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. I'm, I am tentatively eager to hear how this turns out. <laughs> As uh, the general rule of cause and effect dictates, the universe saw a man with a suitcase of pepperoni and, and raised him with a <laughs> flock of seagulls. Oh, God, no. And not no. just any seagulls. We're talking about Victoria seagulls, those feathered rapscallions with a notorious reputation <laughs> for their aggressive tactics when it comes to procuring food. Oh, God. So the window, the sill's full of pepperoni. And Birchill left the window open to keep the pepperoni cool. <laughs> it was an inviting gateway for the seagulls. So he's at work all day, Linz, and then he, he comes back. He returns to the room after a tough day of work. He, I can only imagine what sight awaits him when he opens the door. He, he, he opened the lock, threw the door open, and found an unholy congregation of 40 seagulls tearing his room apart. <laughs> The seagulls were in some sort of pepperoni-induced frenzy. <laughs> they turned his room into like a low-budget horror film. I'm picturing them. I'm picturing them going through his closet, like going through his clothes, looking for more pepperoni. There's got to be more pepperoni in here. It must have been like an Alfred Hitchcock film, but with spiced deli meats. <laughs> in his own words, he said, "Quote: It was a tornado of." Of seagull excrement, pepperoni chunks, and large birds whipping around the room. The oh lamps Lord. were falling, the curtains were trashed, and the coffee tray was disgusting. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So in a desperate attempt to reclaim his room and, and his pepperoni, 
He uh, he flailed around trying to shoo them out the window. He he ultimately did, but not before he took off his shoe and threw it at one of the birds. The shoe crashed through the window, adding glass to an already chaotic mixture of feathers, droppings, and cured pork. Dear Lord. Nick then called for some help. Hello, housekeeping? <laughs> but he had to leave to go to work, so he calls the front desk, and when he returned, he found all of his belongings had been moved to a different room. Well, that was kind of them. I guess with a hotel that nice, they're not just going to pitch your luggage out, out <laughs> into the front lawn and say, don't come back. Well... When he got back to work, he checked out after a few days. And when he got back to work, his company received a letter from the hotel informing them that Birchill was banned for life okay. from the Empress. That's fair, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of the uh, the scene from Best in Show where Ed Begley Jr. is talking <laughs> as the hotel manager. And he's talking about, yes. yeah, we, we rented a room to a rock group. Lesson learned there. We couldn't get the smell of the roasted goat out of the drapes. <laughs> Forgot that line. <laughs> lesson learned there. <laughs> so, what is the lesson here? Don't bring a suitcase full of pepperoni to a seagull fight. No. I uh, I think I have mentioned a few times my dear friend uh, Tamara, with whom I worked at, at Disneyland. And when we would have press events, we would often get rooms at the hotel because these press events would go for days and you'd be working ridiculous hours and it would be so much easier to just sleep at the property than to drive back and forth to your house. Mm -hmm. And so Tamara, one afternoon, checks into her room at the Disneyland Hotel and forgets that the uh, the sliding glass door is open <laughs> and she takes like a nap for an hour or two and wakes up and there are about 40 pigeons that have <laughs> flown into her room. Oh my God. And she wakes up and looks around and thinks, what the hell is this? <laughs> and she very slowly walked over to the door and then turned around and starts slowly walking and kind of waving her arms and shooing the pigeons out and managed to get all of the pigeons flew back out of the uh, sliding glass door. And as I recall, had managed to wake up soon enough that there wasn't pigeon crap all over the room. And then you hear a knock on the door. It's housekeeping and the housekeeping is being played by Tippy Hedren. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very good friend who came up with a, a version of Psycho that lasted only 60 seconds and it's uh, it's when Tibby Hedren is checking in to the hotel. You're thinking of Janet Lee in Psycho. Tibby Hedren, birds, the birds. Birds. Yeah. I had a friend who came up with a 60-second version of uh, Psycho where Janet Lee would check into the hotel and Anthony Hopkins <laughs> reaches over and hands her the very first key on the key ring and not the very last one. And she says, thank you and takes the key and walks out to go to a room and the film just fades to black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I used to do a, a thing called five second theater on my, okay. on my morning radio show. And I did the five second version of Dickens' A Christmas Carol one holiday season. It went something like this. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. Bah, humbug. Boo. 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 God bless us, everyone. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. 
five-second theater. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> anyway, back to our story. As the dust and oh. the feathers settled at the Empress, uh, Birchall was left with this lifetime ban. And, of course, a great story. Because let's face it, you, at the end of the day, you've, you really haven't lived until you've been banned from a hotel for pelting pepperoni-stealing seagulls with a shoe. <laughs> with a shoe. And I wonder what it was that, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Was it like, well, we were okay until you threw the shoe and broke the window? <laughs> what was the last straw, I wonder? Fast forward uh, nearly two decades from when that happened. Just a few years ago, Nick formally requested the hotel reconsider his ban in a hilarious letter where he recounted all of the events, and then he posted it on Facebook. And luckily for Nick, uh, everyone at the hotel thought it was hilarious. I guess none of them worked there at the time. They were very amused by the full story in this very formal letter that he sent to them asking for his lifetime ban to be lifted. And not only did they, uh, they gave him a free week stay as well. They Comped his room for a week. They sure did. What a genius, genius PR move, huh? No kidding. That's very smart. My source information, the Halifax News, the <laughs> Brothers Quality Meats, the history of Brothers Pepperoni. Nick's Facebook page, an article called The Time I Got Banned from the Empress Hotel, Birdwatch Canada, specifically the chapter on Victoria Seagulls, a feathery nuisance, the Nova Scotia Chronicle, and the Victoria Gazette. That's a lot of sources. Nick Birchall. Well, it's a lot of pepperoni, I guess. It certainly is. As always, we love having you guys hang out with us. And uh, it's, you know, it's just nice to sit around and chat with friends, isn't it? It's the best. And uh, we encourage you to send us your shallow end stories. You can even record them yourself on your phone and send us, uh, send us a, an audio file, an MP3. doesn't have to be professional equipment. But uh, whether it's recorded or written... Forward it to lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And as you make your way through the rest of this day, remember to make good choices. Your life and pepperoni may depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, you gotta go. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.